Pridecast on this Monday evening. Uh, tonight we have another guest with us, uh, but as always, my co-host, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Mark County. Good evening. And our uh, special guest tonight, uh, second time on the podcast, Adrian Tchaikovsky. How's, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us again. I'm trying to. I was trying to remember when you were on last. Um, it's got to be about a. When was uh, a year? A year ago, potentially about a year. I ago. mean, I am currently existing in a kind of a perpetual now that doesn't really admit of past <laughs> or future. So I'm the wrong person to ask. This has to go Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. In the uh, before. <laughs> yeah, but there's the last time you were on, um, you were talking about that you've been approached about a um, Warhammer novel. And obviously, you couldn't really say that much about it because it hadn't been released yet and everything, but it has been released, hasn't it? Um, yes, it was out um, beginning of this year, I think. Yeah, that's one of those tricky past future questions that <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does act, has actually been released and therefore exists in the world. The Day of Ascension. And- Yes. So, yes, uh, how, first, first yeah. up, but because obviously, and I apologize for anybody who can see all the crap on my table. I'm currently um, uh, sorting my, my my stuff out uh, in this mine cave of mine. Uh, but for everybody who's lived under a rock or who hasn't been, who hasn't seen our last podcast or listened to our last podcast, who are you? Uh, what 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 do you do? Uh, what, what what have you written? Uh, just for those people. Okay, so I'm Adrian Tchaikovsky. I am a science fiction fantasy writer. I'm probably best known still for Children of Time, which is basically a book about giant spiders from outer space. Um, And I've written a lot of other stuff as well. I'm up to about 40 novels and novellas, all told. Plus a certain amount of short stories, although short, 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 short fiction is not really my uh, my oeuvre. (laughs) And an Arthur C. Clarke Award for Children of Time? Yes, there have been some awards. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Arthur, the Arthur C. Clarke um, British Fantasy Award, two British Science Fiction Awards, and a Sidewise Award at the moment. And currently, which is rather a joy, actually, so I've, I've hit the um, American Award market this year in a way I've never done before. Got- I've recently lost the Locus Award. I think even just today, I have failed to win the Locus Award, but the fact that I was even in con- in the running for the Locus Award was pretty bloody good. Wow. And um, yeah, I've got a novella up for the uh, in the Hugo shortlist for later on this year, which I will also doubtless lose. But that's still pretty fantastic because I've never got anywhere near those lists before. The fact you have been nominated for this and put forward mm-hmm. gives you an indication of the quality of your work that's getting out there. Uh, no, it gives me an indication of the fact that it's actually getting to Americans. I don't think it's, it's, <laughs> that too. Uh, I mean, this is this is the, this is the thing with awards which are voted on by a particular body of people or membership. It, it shows that I've actually got the reach in the states that I haven't had before. Yeah, um, because it's actually remarkably difficult for a a British author to crack the states. So, I mean, I can only imagine how much sort of vastly more difficult it is for a for someone coming from anywhere else I suppose it's like being in a rock and roll band you know you're trying to break the states yeah with yeah and that's exactly yeah, and if you can actually if you can start doing doing well in the states it is exactly like that because it's such a huge um 
a huge sort of market, a vast number of readers you suddenly get access to. But it there are very, very few, you know, even even all even um British authors who are enormously well known over here um still struggle to kind of get any kind of traction over there. Why why do you think that is? They're culturally, you know, because <laughs> there's a crap ton of American authors. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I mean this I mean they're they're not it's not as if they're going to all sitting there think having nothing to read. There's a vast number of American authors, many of which are whom are many of whom are extremely good. So it's it's you know it's 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 not really surprising that it's hard to come in from outside and make um make an impact, even even with the um the benefit question mark of a common language. Um just yeah, you know, because you know there are a lot of readers, but there are a lot of writers. It's quite a saturated marketplace. Have you kind of um, had any success in, in any of the countries, and how does that compare to like the, the home market? Um, it comes and goes. I mean, uh, early on, basically the only, pretty much the only country I actually did well in was Poland, which I think is still the only overseas market that had the entirety of the Shadows of the Apt translated. Um, we, you know, there were various other countries that picked it up and put it down. So it, you know, it kind of, the first few books came out in Germany and then that died. And it, yeah, in the same way that the series did in the States, cause that was my first kind of my first crack at that. And it just didn't, didn't take off, didn't get any kind of, um, any, pur- any sort of purchase there after children of time, um, won the clock that then that started to kind of get get a lot of get translated and that's now been translated into really quite a lot of different languages and following on from that um a number of other books have, have all also have been so um dogs of war i think has at least half a dozen um children of ruin doors of eden i think has a few and recently we've seen some of the novellas getting translated um there's one uh, really fun publisher in um Barcelona, for example, who's translating him into Catalan, which is uh, one of the most the specialists. But they, I'm niche. particularly fond of those because they do some of the nicest covers. Oh, nice! So, like, each um, new edition of the book gets like a, a completely different cover. Not necessarily. Um, so, some markets will reuse. So, like, the German market generally reuses um, the English covers. And certainly, most of the US releases have, have reused the English covers. But um, so the, if you get published in France, you'll get a new cover in France for their larger paperback. And then you'll get a completely different cover, quite possibly for their slightly smaller paperback, which is how it works in France. And I'm still not quite sure how, because that, although that slightly smaller paperback will be from a different French publisher. So there's a very, very, very different way they approach things over there. Do you have any say in like the presentation of the of these different editions, or is this something just left to your agent? Um, these days, they generally show me the covers before they go out, but I certainly don't have any kind of power of veto or anything over it. So it's <laughs> it's this weird thing. It's, it's this weird. It's a bit like um. It feels a bit like the prime minister sort of going to before the queen and saying, "Ah, oh, am, am I allowed to 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 enact this law?" And isn't it? You can't say no. What do you think about this? Is this, this new Spanish cover? Oh, yeah, that that's that's fine. I mean, if, 
<laughs> if I turned around and said, no, I violently don't like this cover, which thankfully has not yet been the case with any of them, <laughs> it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference because right. they paid the artist. It's not as if they're not going to use it. <laughs> it's more of a This is just a courtesy. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is. I mean, it's, it's very weird. I mean, there's a lot of things that, I mean, so even even just you know, working in the in the domestic market in the UK, there's a lot of things that I don't actually get to put my foot down about particularly, but there is a certain politic you know, think they come, you know, do you like this, do you not like this? Um, you know, this cover, this title, this blurb on the back. And then then quite weirdly sort of, ah, oh, now here's the, and then they come back six months later, so here's the paperback edition, what do you think of this? And I think, well, I think it's exactly the same as the hardback edition, only slightly smaller and floppier. Um, <laughs> but they, it's still kind of presented up as if it's some great thing that I need to have an opinion on. And at that point, I'm dealing with other books, and it's kind of, oh, didn't we do this? <laughs> yeah, so I'm being much... very impolitic this evening. I've, I've had a, rough, <laughs> a very disjointed couple of weeks. Oh dear. <laughs> and well, no, I mean, I appreciate it. Like, you know, it's um, you you basically, as I understand it, as the publishing and the writing business is like, you know, when you by the time a book's been released, that uh, it was finished a year ago, it's been going through the whole publishing process. So by then, you will run mm-hmm. something else and finishing something else. So that's what you're concentrated on. Yeah. Yeah, and and quite. I mean, I, I, I mean that that's certainly the the sort of default position. I tend to be, at the moment at least, I'm still fairly ahead of the game. So it's quite possible that that will be an you you can add up to an extra year into the mix as to when I actually finish the manuscripts. So, yeah, it's it's very odd. You get these these, and again because I'm working with multiple publishers and they all work at slightly different speeds, you get this very peculiar sort of factory world series of, of conveyor belts feeding you stuff. And the only the the only um, rule that I've really worked out is that the edits will always turn up at the exact worst moment when you're trying to do something else. <laughs> do you like take notes knowing for well that, that by now that there's certain things people will ask and it's better to take a note now because you'll be in the middle of 400, 400 other things a year down the line? I, I, I that is that's giving me way too much credit for being able to know what people are going to ask, <laughs> frankly. Because it's, it's yeah, the, the stuff that's the, the stuff that is sort of questionable to me tends to not get disturbed, and the stuff that seems to be absolutely settled law gets sort of questioned and edited out, and 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 all sorts of uh, concerns raised about. So uh, no, I, mean, I just deal with it as it comes. To be honest, incidentally, it was the 29th of November. I had a quick there dig. we go. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, well, that's like, so what have you been like the biggest kind of comments you've had back from publishers in regards to your work? Well, the, I mean, the main one is that I overwrite, and I, when I, before I submit my own editing pass, I tend to take quite a lot out, and then the publishers will also then take quite a lot out because I still overwrite even after that. Um, I'm very, very fond of showing how terribly clever I am in um, building building my worlds and universes. And it does slow things down. But at the same time, I frequently don't have the heart to cut it myself. And I tend to need an editor to turn up and say, no, you, you know, you've got to cut this because the whole thing has become glacially slow. And, yes. and the, the, the intricate details of how this planet works are not remotely relevant to the book. He's not read much Peter F. Hamilton, has he? I'm sorry? He's not read much Peter F. Hamilton, has he? 
Um, well, we, go, we come from the same publisher, so I think they have to do it. Okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> his books are huge. I mean, they're little... Yeah, but they're not... I mean, I think they're not generally huge with ex, with um, world building and exposition, which mine would be if I was if I was just let to do what I wanted, you know, fair what enough. I wanted without any kind of um, oversight. <laughs> so there was a, there was an awful lot more of Hell City and Bearhead than, than we ended up with then? <laughs> um, there was a bit yeah i mean it's more things like so in in um shards of earth and eyes of the void they go to sort of half a dozen different places in each book and each one of those places was very thoroughly detailed in the original draft to a level that was completely irrelevant to the actual action going on there and it so it becomes this kind of tug of war with me trying to keep the bits i'm particularly proud of and occasionally maybe sort of twisting but if sometimes they do work out all right this is i really enjoy this and it is not in any way crucial to what's going on in the book therefore it is kind of under the axe as i'm writing it therefore maybe i will find a way to make it important (laughs) and i i have done that and sometimes that actually turns out to be some of the best bits of the book but it's it's this weird kind of working out that working out just where the editor's eye might be <laughs> a light and then just sort of a bit like a bit like if you're running a, a sort of a siege of a medieval castle which wall do i need to shore up yeah so basically the version of yeah. the chicken and the egg <laughs> <laughs> so, i mean you are like no as you said like no, incredibly prolific i mean you are just i mean i think it was uh, in shadows upstairs you'd written about the first three books uh before actually submitting any of them yeah i mean that's not being prolific that's just actually writing stuff before submitting things um <laughs> yeah but yeah but i mean the fact that you've written three books in advance and then start submitting it yeah i mean well that was that's a special case um basically that was the shadows of the app was my very big kind of last fling at getting published or well, that was certainly how i had envisaged, uh, envisaged it at the time and for that reason, I wanted to write the whole first plot arc. I think the first four books, as it turned out, of the series, um, because I knew that if I wrote the first book and submitted it, and it got knocked back, I would not write the rest. And I really wanted to have that whole arc done. And in fact, I mean that worked very well for me because that was actually part of the leverage that got those books onto the shelves. Was knowing that that sort of effectively a complete story was ready to go and could be put out really quite quickly with just a few months in between books, which frankly, I think gave, gave me a, an absolutely life-saving momentum with um, readers because they were, you know, we've read a book, next one is right, it's coming out just as I finished that first book. And, you know, bang, bang, bang. And I've seen, a, it doesn't happen often because most of the time I think a writer submits a book, the others in the series are not written and they've taken a long time over that book. And so the publisher doesn't have the ability to turn things out. But I've, the, the instances I've seen, like R.J. Barker, where that has been done, and the books have come out really quite close to one another, it's always done really well. Yeah, like having it all there ready to go is a big sell. Yeah, and that's also, I mean, I know a lot of um, self-publishing authors uh, work on that kind of thing, kind of model. They turn out books really very quickly um, in the same series. And so you, you know, as soon as you've finished a book, there will be another one along very quickly before it has had time to kind of um, fade out of your head, particularly. Yeah, maintain the momentum, keep it in the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, yeah, I, I am now very much working to the standard model of um, 
usually a year between books. Um, some, you know, occasionally think a six month gap is, is pretty nippy, but it's um, certainly that, that early period of getting those books out several to a year really, really worked. Yeah, good. Get it. it just, and also just kind of establish your presence within the field. Like all these books with your name attached out there in the field, it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets you a bit of shelf space in Waterstones, basically. It's, um, <laughs> but genuinely, I think it's, it's simply the fact that it was convenient for readers that 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 worked absolutely yeah and also you've written for um games workshop and, and uh, black library yes so i mean i mean as as, as we currently sound I've, I've written uh three short stories and, and a, a long novella so fifty thousand words for games workshop two of the short stories are still pending and i'm not entirely sure when those are turning up those are both um age of sigma setting That's and the nice. published short and the novella are 40k is it, is no. it, was the was the Black Library stuff um, something you had your eye on, or was it just something they, that just turned up in your doorstep uh, and they said, "Would you like to do this?" And you went, "Yeah, why not?" Um, well, no, I mean, I I contacted them actually rather than um, rather than them commissioning me. Um, it was a combination of two things. Firstly, my son had a kind of a, actually what turned out to be a fairly brief fling with the hobby, which then got <laughs> me into the hobby, which turned out to be a bit of a sanity saver during lockdown because I, I, <laughs> I painted miniatures and that because I had something at the end of it that, that I had kind of made that was that ticked a lot of boxes inside my head and, 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 and turned out to be a very, healthy thing for me to do and also given that i could not for the life of me paint stuff when i was a teenager yeah. uh, when i had my first kind of warhammer encounters i now have the patience to do it and i can actually turn out a a reasonably okay sort of uh sort of miniature what, what's um, your what's your what's your army of choice what are you what are you oh collecting? i i have really quite i mean the, my um <laughs> i do i have a fairly solid um gene Steeler cults force um to, to fit with the book and for the Age of Sigma stuff, I think my absolute favourite of the goblins. All right, okay. I am very much the hoping goblins. that at some point we'll get some new goblin spider riders and <laughs> things like that. There were some recent ones, weren't there? Which the, I, know, I helped run a gaming club, and there's a there's several um, goblin fiends that are quite that they were quite fond of some of the new spider riders and things. The ones they put, the ones they've got at the moment are quite old. You can see because they've even got the old rectangular um, yeah. bases. And okay. I'm. It looks very much like we'll be getting a new Goblin book around autumn this year, and I am kind of hoping that's the. Given that we've had a lot of Squig style Goblin stuff, yeah. I'm kind of hoping the spiders will get a bit of love. <laughs> so yeah. you you sort of said about um, uh, uh, Warhammer sort of kind of helping you through through lockdown. Um, they, they 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 actually their profits went up uh quite quite a lot during during lockdown uh i think a lot of people just sort of had well yeah. nothing better to do uh let's just paint some toy soldiers um it, was it something you had been doing beforehand or was it just something you went i've got nothing better to do let's just give it a go it was just it was a very good matter of timing i was i had just started on the hobby when everything kicked off and therefore it was just it was sitting there waiting for me to um to um 
yeah, just just kick off with. I remember, I remember ju just as things were starting to lock down, I had one one sort of final desperate run to uh, the local games workshop store with a <laughs> masked up to kind of grab grab a grab a batch of paints and figures and things. Far from the only one, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm currently trying to downsize my collection. I I had way too much. My pile of shame was just mounting, and I was depressing me because it's just like I'm literally just buying this stuff and it's sitting in a pile. So I had like a a warbit a few weeks back, and I just sold a load of stuff. So I collect space wolves. So um, mm. yeah, uh, I'm just sort of kind of trying to sort of kind of cut down my uh, my, my my backlog and stuff. I've got a, a day sort of kind of um, semi regular sort of like a hobby podcast called um um the hobby hoarders podcast and uh we we do we set each other challenges to paint stuff each each couple of weeks and stuff and uh, that's been very helpful uh to sort of kind of get me back into actually doing some painting um and to be honest i uh not it's kind of games workshop related because it's uh, it's uh, Lord of the Rings, but I did the Death of Boromir. I did. I made a. I made a uh, Death of Boromir diorama. That was my last oh. one. I was. Uh, I was really impressed with it because it doesn't look too bad, and it's like the first diorama I've done in a very long time. So yeah, uh, and that was uh, that was very good. I must admit, I've got some of the Iron Head spots um, ready to grab at some point soon, so I can play around with those from the you know the new release for this weekend because oh, hey it's been an awfully long time hasn't it well that's it were, <laughs> that was the whole thing man it was just like they were they were in, they were bound to bring squats back this whole like they're never going to do it because the mm. Tyranids destroyed them and i everyone you talk to is like no they were destroyed by the Tyranids, and you're just like they're gonna come back why wouldn't they bring them back it just doesn't make any well, sense money I'm, making yeah. wise i'm i'm gonna say as as quite aside from the um i mean i also just just today picked up my set of the the necromunda um prospectors yeah. that they brought out but the 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 back, new backstory for the actual full-on 40k ones the leagues of league of votan yeah. is very good in yeah. the way it interacts with the existing um 40k sure. law that's the that someone's put a lot of very clever thought into that to, to make some interesting sort of um stress lines well it, it ha they'd have to because obviously if they just throw them in like anything you're gonna have a bunch of neck beards so you're just gonna sort of kind of kick off you know what 40k fans are like they're, they're never never happy so that's something had to put a lot of thought into well yeah but i mean honestly be because of that and i mean i think this is something that an awful lot of sort of long established ip owners run into because of that i think doing something genuinely different and innovative with them is actually much more risky than just so oh, they're the same as last time like yeah. you remember them from when you were 22 yeah or 15 or whatever it is so do putting in the you know, the whole new thing with the ai and the um all of that sort of stuff which heresy well that's the thing <laughs> and that that makes it interesting because obviously you have a you therefore have this force which is theoretically on the same side of the imperium but at the same time actually at some point, presumably, it's going to go bang when someone from the Adeptus Mechanicus works out what's going on there, and that's really, yeah, a really fun idea. And it, it's, some, it sort of moves, someone... a, it moves the sort of forty k story forward because that's the one thing you generally get, and I think this is what they've been doing with the um, oh, I can't remember the set of the new the new um, 
Primaris. The new books. What are the what's the what's the new set of books that they're kind of because obviously you've got the new uh, you've got the the um the set coming out for the Horus Heresy, the um, War and Terror. Um, sorry, the War and Terror. Um, the, that's, that's a completely different game. Um, the um, <laughs> the Seat of Terror ones, but then you've got the new set for and the, the Indominus uh, Crusade. Mm. There's a new set of them. Gav Thorpe instead uh, did a couple of them because um, yeah. they're trying to push the story on. And I think with this, with the new leagues of Votan, is they're like they're actually trying to push this story onwards because you were like stuck in this sort of kind of limbo where things wasn't real, things weren't really changing, characters weren't really changing, nothing was really happening, and now they they are pushing it on. So you've got this sort of catalyst for other things to happen, and ha- them coming in with all this sort of kind of tech and w- stuff that shouldn't be around, uh, especially it's one one thing that I've seen with the with the whole the Horus Heresy stuff, you know, the red effectively the retro stuff they're producing at the moment. Uh, so we talked about. It took about 10,000 years for Space Marines to have slightly less pointy faces. Yes. That's, that's, the, yeah. Yeah. that's technological advancement in, 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 the, in the... But, I mean, at the same time, that actually... You know, the idea of the Imperium being that phenomenally moribund and that you know, it's impossible to apply change over something that's that spread out and that big. Yeah, okay. The thing is, like, you think about it, like, historically, I appreciate it, it's not 10,000 years, but um, it took them... I think it took like 200 years before they realized instead of having a bayonet or a knife uh, that went in the in the muzzle of the gun to stick it underneath the gun as a, something. Mm. So they used to have it in the, the, the sort of the socket bucket. Yeah. So it took a couple hundred years before they kind of went, all right, if we did this and stuck it underneath it, then it would be a lot. We could shoot it and stab people with it. So Not invented here is very strong sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, it is... Everything is always more nuanced because, of course, you, a lot of the time you're dealing with single shot guns and then you end up in, you know, you charge yeah. and you end up fighting. And at that point, you have a gun where you're not going to be shooting it and also stabbing someone. Yeah. There are going to be very few instances where you actually need need to be able to switch rapidly from one mode to another. I think I suppose they could argue with the in, in the sort of kind of forty k slash thirty k universe. It's the whole thing. It's like technology is re, they're richly they're not creating new technology. They're just yeah. trying yeah. to um, retrofit or 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 deal with maintain. old technology. They're basically maintaining yeah, that's it. Maintain old technology, and every now and again you get a sort of STL. Is it STL? Yep. Is that what they call STL? Um, yep. Coming out. Um, but apart from that, it's literally just keeping the old stuff going. Um, I'd be interested if this sort of, because got, you've got the um, the Man of Iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm assuming these these new sort of automatons that the uh, Leagues of Votan are, are, are effectively, um, you know, the, the, the Man of Iron. So that'll be... I don't think, I don't know they are. I think the Men of Iron, were, they, they're of a similar sort of style. Well, they, so they, they're an they, outgrowth. What, what I'm getting is that they, as part of their squads, you have these ironkin who are sort of automata, self-willed, fully AI automata that are treated as citizens. As, as yeah, in, in exactly the same way as the actual sort of flesh and blood um, characters. So, which again, I mean, that's, you know, it's a very, it's a nice stark contrast to the way that um, the kind of, the, the way that um, the Imperium treats its sort of robots, and for that matter, its 
robotized people. <laughs> so. Yeah. The weird the weird contrast between servitors and machine spirits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh but yeah, it, it's good times. Like uh, I think they've they're 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 putting a lot into that's the one thing. You can moan about Games Workshop all you want, but their their lore and what they do with it is, is second to none. Like they there's some there's so seriously amazing stuff coming out and that the new Leagues of Votan, I was gonna say squats, the new League of Vo- League of Votan stuff is it, it looks really good. It looks amazing. Especially the stuff with their, um, uh, there's, what do they call it? The computer that basically gives them all the knowledge in the universe and it's mm. slowly, it's slowly breaking. And I think. Yes, the Votan. Yeah, the Votan, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that sort of is a really good mechanic for story dri- uh, driving um, for later on. It's all in there, but it's buried in crap. <laughs> they've basically all got a palm top. Drop to the list. Is that what you're saying? They've got a 20th century palm toss. That'll be interesting, though, because the thing is, right, because the Necromunda guys are called squats, so they are squat things, whereas these guys are leagues of Votan, so I'm not sure are they counting them as separate. Are they a part of the league? Are they separate? I assume it's like an an offshoot from way back. Yeah. I think that's the way they're spinning it, is that they, they spun off of the leagues and settled on uh, Necromunda way back, and they've been cut off. So they turned up as sort of salvage guys, and they just kind of stayed. And they don't they, they, they even call themselves squats now, because they've just taken it on as a badge of honour. So they have some similar stuff, but it's slightly different rig in how they do things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, that yeah. would be an interesting um, book or story for Black Library, actually, is, is, is a meeting of those two estranged branches. <laughs> that, that honestly that was i was talking in a, in a whatsapp group about that and i was just like that's got to be a thing at some point in time that's definitely a story arc right there i mean i am wondering if they want anyone to write anything for the dust waste nomads because i am all about riding riding giant <laughs> cricket cricket things all seriously over man like the first thing i thought of when i saw those i was just like ancient he'd love I yeah I I I I bought and painted those as soon as I physically <laughs> and they were also they were a lot of fun to do. <laughs> do you actually uh, play yeah. Necromunda by the way? Do you play Necromunda? Or... Uh, I honestly I don't play any of the games. I, I I I not because I I specifically don't want to. It's just the opportunity isn't there. But, yeah, but yeah. also I building and painting is very much what I I find I really enjoy. Do you do you actually enjoy the building of it? Um, because it can be slightly tiresome, or is it? Is it? I I really like building as long as they are well designed, which is usually the case <laughs> these days. But every so often you come across something that just does not fit freaking together. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the alternative with some of the newer GW designs is the tiny little pieces. I remember yeah. when I, I tried building the Goliaths from the from the new um, Necromunda box set, and there's one. The heads are two pieces, and uh, then you have a little cigar for one of them you have to put in, and it is that big. <laughs> and then I was talking to another friend who's just bought a bunch of stuff for his Skaven army, and one of the new Skaven, the head is in three pieces. Oh, God. It's a 28mm rat, and it's got and it's the middle of the head and the two extra. That's, you have to try and get it all lined up and held together. Yeah. 
I have to be in a very yeah. specific mood when it comes to building stuff because it's like some days I, I don't mind if, I got, if I'm sitting there watching something on TV and I'm just sitting there making way, it's fine. But if I feel like I have to make things because I'm going to do a tournament or I, I need to paint something and I, I just hate it. It, 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 it makes me feel slightly nauseated. <laughs> I need something like that to get me going. I mean, I've had a few things where we've done exhibition events or we've had tournaments set up where it spurred me to make a dent in my grey pile. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the um, Aliens and uh, Another Glorious Day in the Core board game, and each of the miniatures is in 10 parts. Yeah, man. I, wow. That's the reason I didn't buy it. I and know. Then I, 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 just, <laughs> I've got it up there. I can't play it because it's just I have three children. I don't have time to assemble all of them. That's where you get eBay, man. See, I, I, some, actually, it wasn't. It was Facebook mar- Marketplace. Somebody had, somebody sold it with them all made, and I went right, bought, got it. Now I can play that game with them all made, and I don't have to build all those bloody aliens. I've never come come, come across that on a board game before. Yeah, it was quite surprising. Yeah, it's well, it's by um, a company that is has a history of doing war games as well. So oh. I think that kind of mentality carried over, but it's really annoying. It really is annoying. I don't. Care. I mean, I'm one of those people that I want to play games. I'm not bothered. I can't paint miniatures. I literally can't. Yeah, contrast I, the, paints. Contrast paints, mate. Yeah. yeah. Oh look, I I get a spray can, spray them all black, and go right in stealth armor. Yeah, well, the thing is, man, you can you can get away, especially with contrast paints. You can get away with yeah. a lot more. And I, I, I'm I personally have this sort of whole like I'm never satisfied. So I have got some stuff. Um, that's not actually, it's pretty well painted, but for me, I'm just like, it's just not finished and I can't finish it. Cause I'm feeling like if I do one more thing to it, I'm going to ruin it. So it sits on my shelf being in my it. mind, just unfinished. And then it's just like so annoying. And my mates go, cause when I, when I turn up the games, I have them in like cardboard boxes and sort of plastic bags and stuff. And I just don't give a shit. And it's like, why have you got this stuff in there? It's so painted so well. And I'm just like, cause it's not finished. It doesn't deserve to have its own little <laughs> fun thing. Uh, it doesn't I've got do- the opposite problem with um, my first army. I started collecting when I got back into it was um, Crimson Fists. So I started off painting them in one scheme and they discontinued Necron Abyss that I was using as the base colour. So now I use Cantor Blue, but have you ever sat those two colours next to each other? Necron, so Necron Abyss is a really deep, like almost a blue-black, blue whereas Cantor Blue is like a fairly, just a, a mid-dark blue. And so at some point, I know I've got to strip all my old stuff and repaint it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a... Um... So I started collecting space walls instead with all my spare, spare power armor. <laughs> well, see, this is it. So my, I have, like, my own specific space wolf chapter called the, the Dire Wolves and stuff. Um, So it's actually not Dire Wolves from Game of Thrones. It's Dire Wolves from, you know, you know Mech Warrior? The the sort of kind of, like, one where oh, I feel yeah. like Max was called... It was the direwolf. Um, so when I first started my, you know, Space Wolves army, I was like, I need to think of what they're going to be called. They're going to call them the Dire Wolves. And um, they've got this sort of kind of slightly off blue sort of sorry it's it's gray but it's it's got like a tinge of sky blue to it uh and it's a, like a vallejo paint and the air, air paint that i use and um <laughs> i'm just like shit if they ever discontinue this or they don't use it i'm fucked so i literally I, thought, yeah. I have bought so much of that paint every time i see it in the shop i'm like bye 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 just on the off chance that you know because one day, if, if some if one day comes along 
and I and I decide, you know what, I'm going to paint my Space Wolves, and I haven't got the paint to match the ones that I've actually done. It will drive me crazy. I'll absolutely go mental. So uh, it's just like, so I've just got so many little bottles of that stuff just there, just on the off chance that I go on a, a painting spree, uh, and I have the same color scheme for my whole army. <laughs> Um, well, actually, so well, it comes down to uh, a nice segue into the uh, into the book, into the Gene Stealer cult book. Mm. Um, so I, I'm assuming you quite like the idea of the Gene Stealer cult because of all this sort of kind of the, the gribblies and the nasties and the, the, the insectoid type things that come um, with Um You know what? I, I'm going to say I do not find the Gene Stealers remotely insecty. I know that a lot of them have six limbs, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, there's nothing insecty in the way that they, yeah, the heads work or anything like that. Um, The for me, it was the social aspect that was much, much more interesting. The idea that you have, I mean, I mean, so essentially, the Day of Ascension is about this sort of insidious ideology whereby all of these human lives are fit for nothing but to be kind of rendered down to feed this enormous devouring ever ever kind of grinding organism and up against that is the gene stealer cult um because there's basically the the point of the the book really is the imperium especially the Adeptus Mechanicus and their attitude to human life is not really either different or better than the Tyranid High Fleets. It's both the idea of you take a vast number of human lives and you feed them into this thing so that it can keep doing the thing it's doing. And that's basically what the book is about. So and do you... the Imperial Guard just keep feeding bodies. Yeah. The only real difference <laughs> is that at least up until the point where uh, up until the point where the teeth go in, the cult kind of care about you slightly more. <laughs> so because like um and it's obviously I'm not sure how the canon has changed over the years and stuff, but originally with the Gene Stealer cult was they were bred over numerous generations, um mm-hmm. to become you know, so you you had the different, hence why you've got ones with sort of who look human, and you've got ones who have, um, you know, three arms, some of some, you've got actual gene stealers, etc. Because uh, they infiltrate planets, and they're there for hundreds of yeah, years. Yeah, and that, over, the, over the generations, they, I mean, they weirdly, as the cult grows, the individual members of the cult, effectively, they are more human, and weirdly, therefore, less powerful, in terms of just, you know, sheer punch in a, in it a fight. It kind of dilutes out, doesn't it? There's a point at which pure strains become apart for some people but there's points which the rest of it dilutes out so they, they can pass more easily can't yeah they? yeah and so i'm dealing with the with a cult with you know the main cult point of view character is passes well enough for human that she, she works as a kind of a minor servant in the um the planetary governor's sort of uh palace so you've running, got... er, running errands and things like that so so you've got this whole thing where, from my understanding of the Genius Dealer cult, is that um, they they're they're sort of kind of brought up to believe that the 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 Tyranids are their saviors. Will they, they will come and sort of help bring freedom to their to their planet? And what really happens is they they get devoured by the Terranids when they when they they land effectively it's sort of uh sort um of... yeah so the i mean the belief certainly in the in 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 
in uh, Day of Ascension, the belief is, you know, the the space angels are going to come from space and they will take us all with them into space, yep. which is technically true. <laughs> right. Okay. I understand. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is also, you know, at the end of the day, it's that or it's being worked to death in the mines. And therefore, you know, there's a certain virtue to being part of something bigger. In this case, literally. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing is, I quite like that sort of kind of gray area. So in in, in theory, in your book, they are the good guys. They're the rebels fighting, effectively raging against the machine. Yeah, because it, it, oh, so we, this was, it was a really interesting challenge because very, very obviously, as far as their place in the, you know, in in the in the canon goes, they are not only bad guys; they're kind of almost the baddest of bad guys. Um, because it's the idea of you know, it's reducing everything to biomass to just to produce more kind of enormous world devouring monsters. And so, how do you sell that? How do you sell that as people seeing themselves as the good guys? And in fact, actually, it comes over very well. And the more you look at the way the Imperium worked, actually. The comparison, I think, very much bears up because what is the Imperium doing for people? It's exploiting them so that the Imperium can go on. Why does the Imperium want to go on? It's not for the benefit of the people in in it. It's not for the benefit of anyone, really. It is this enormous kind of space bureaucracy and military that exists purely for its own time, no, purely for its own um, promulgation through, through... through time in exactly the same way as the tyranids the the tyranids do not you know nobody in the imperium is having a good time i mean maybe there's like one rogue trader captain who had a good day once (laughs) and that's base yeah but even then if anyone had found out about it he'd have been burned at the stake for heresy you know the space brains are not having a good time. The uh, you know adeptus militarum, are, my god, they're not having a good time. Nobody, <laughs> nobody is having a good time because the whole point of the Imperium is is just to turn to have Exist. people as a resource, and therefore, you know, it, it's. I mean, weirdly, you know, if you want to find anyone having a good time in the entire forty k universe, you've got to go outside humanity well you think he's arguably the only real sort of kind of or slightly good guys in in 40k would i suppose be the toy ish yeah in, yeah in, in a um, ish <laughs> well i mean all right it's yes it, it, it's it's an ish but yeah it's it, they're still a way closer to it than um the imperium which is, but i mean i do wonder with the with you know talking about the leagues of votan whether it that doesn't sound like such a bad deal. They've got yeah. their problems, but at the same time, it sounds like the, like the quality of life for your average um, sort of le- league member is probably rather better. To be fair, though, you're talking about if anyone in this 40k universe is having a good time, I'd say the Dark Elder. Um, <laughs> of course, because they're, <laughs> they're just, very they're just loving it. Time. <laughs> yeah, but they're always I mean, worried they... about Slanesh taking their souls, isn't it? That's their sort of. But also, of... they they kind of remind me of that like they they're like that sort of 70 year old hippie who is desperate to show that they're still cool and happening and <laughs> is is kind of taking ever more dangerous doses of their favorite narcotic because they've got to keep in with the kids for the you know orcs orcs the orcs have a good time that's, that's it because yeah. the orcs are i mean what they're they not are. good guys I, but they have a good time they, they are at least what they in, are 
Yeah, I mean, everyone, even even the, even the other kind of nominal bad guys don't seem to much enjoy it. <laughs> I the thing is, I love some of the I love some of the orc back. Some of it, some of it, it's just ridiculous. But I love some of it, like you know, going into the Immaterium with like Geller fields just so they can fight, just so they can fight demons. <laughs> if, they're, if they're bored, there's always that option. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like it's ridiculous, but it's so good. Some of it, the fact that you know they think. Some something works so it does you know and it's just it's insane mm. you know there's that story there's that Sorry. story where i i have no idea if this is if this is true or not but it, it's sort of one of these sort of urban orc legends that sort of come and die where you've basically got a um a bunch of imperial guardsmen who are up against a a, a horde of orcs and they run out of ammunition and then basically the uh, the commissar turns around to them and says just go with your fingers with your guns and make the noise and because the orcs think that it's true they've got this sort of kind of psychosomatic thing so they all start dropping dead <laughs> and then, so they all start dropping dead and then basically uh, eventually eventually apparently you see a bunch of orcs sort of kind of going i'm a tank 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 just sort of kind of coming up this up, this, uh, up towards these trenches and you know saying the word believing that they're tanks so they can't get shot by these imaginary bullets <laughs> i i think it's probably bullshit but it's a really good story and i think it sort of ties in very well with them you know it's like, did you see? Do you remember that guy that did the um, the squad of orcs, the orc infiltrators, where he took apart a rhino? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and they were all carrying part of the rhino, and he put them together in the squad, and they walked across, pretending that they were a rhino. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that always annoyed me about sort of like you, you, when I was like younger, and I was like, when are the squats coming back? And you get sort of like Games Workshop stuff saying, oh, they were a silly race, they were really silly. It's like, yeah, but the orcs are ridiculous the orcs literally think if they paint their vehicles red they'll go faster and stuff like that that you know they believe yeah, stuff like... very, get, the the um games workshop has an a weird relationship with comedy because there is a lot of that stuff which is very very obviously broad comedy stuff especially in the orcs and goblins and then a lot of the rest of it which is you're not allowed to joke about this this is terribly terribly serious and it's all existing in the same universe and sometimes in the same fight <laughs> i yeah uh, that's i found that really discon disconcerting when i'm kind of reading the background on vikings and you read the orc stuff and going what the thing is, they've got they've got a good story. They've got a good sort of like their creation was effectively to stop the uh, the Necrons um, from sort of kind of taking over, or what were the Necrontier? Sorry, the Necrontier were the, uh, the 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 original ones. So they were created by the uh, old ones as a way to sort of like stop that. But then basically, the old ones got destroyed, and the orcs got left to their own devices and just kind of did what they were designed to do and kill things, and so they just sort of kind of became what they were. Um, there's a variation on that. They think that originally the ruling caste was the goblins, or the grots, and they just evolved over time, because I have some some theories that because the orcs just keep growing and keep going, at some point or another, they just basically made the ones that are supposed to be in charge, they're bitches, and they've just kind of devolved <laughs> in this weird way over time. 
So how did you write, uh, how did you approach the ascension when um, you first suggested it to the um, Black Library? Um, so the original idea, so all right, so the other kind of half of why I wanted to write it was um, years back, I was at uh, Birmingham Games Expo just when they were just ahead of when the um, Gene C. LeCoultz book was, was, yeah. Yeah, was first being yeah. buzzed about. And they had a lot of the art up. And the the old Gene Sealy Cult book has some had some phenomenal art. Oh, so good. Yeah. yeah. And that but a lot they the artist had done a really, really good job of basically taking this. So here is the Gene Sealy Cult, here is the I think it was the Adeptus Mechanica stuff, and making the cult look heroic and outmatched and kind of you know, fighting this sort of desperate, desperate sort of underdog fight. And that struck me as right. That, I want to write about those guys. I don't want to write about Space Marines. I don't want to write about the Imperium in general. Those are the guys. They are the, <laughs> you know, I mean, they are the closest you get to every man, um, really, in that sort of situation, because they're not even sort of career military, even conscript military. They are basically actual civilian people. They've got, you know, they've got a Jeep and they've got a drill and they've got a wrench and they are fighting the might of the, of the Imperium for what they believe in and that's that's interesting that's that to me that's much more interesting than kind of space marine chapters slugging it out against each other or anything like that because it's a very grounded story yeah agreed yeah yeah it's, it's like the ordinary mud in, in an extraordinary situation yeah yeah and and then being eaten by enormous space monsters but um yeah, up until that <laughs> point hey, 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 see, well, that's a good thing i think that, i see that i think um that's always a good say so i'm currently uh on the last book uh joe abercrombie's um what's the what's the name of the second trilogy called uh oh so you're on what red country no i've done sorry i've, I've done the those are the individual books the second um oh the the new the new ones the, the last the very last book so basically yeah. it's it, i've got the the uprising uh of all the breakers and the burners and stuff um they're they're basically um they're actually i think uh, in i no they're not in england they're in Aust oh, what's the name of the capital um begins with an a can't remember anyway so they're basically the rising up and stuff and um it, it's one thing i like about his books is you've got this idea of how these people are so you've got this hero figure uh like you know um the bloody nine or something you know mm -hmm. like luther and you think oh yeah get behind him and he, t he turns out to be an absolute fucking shithead or like bias who's the same and i like that mm -hmm. idea that at the very end there's this sort of little curveball that's something i just like everything that you had this preconception of is a lie and that's the whole thing with the gene stealer cults and i think it's just like they have this sort of kind of overarching like you know um we're doing in the end we're we're the good guys we're doing this for the greater good of us we're going to get saved and then they they you know their saviors inverted commas come and you know it doesn't end too well um i like i like that sort of edge to it. i like that sort of kind of curveball ending to things and stuff i, I can't get enough of it now because They've done that in a couple of other places. I was catching up. I'm a bit behind on my white dwarfs. And they had um, one of the short stories they started running in there now with the Imperial Guard and the Transport, the Red Emperor one. Have you read that one? No, I don't think so. Where there's this idea that there's, there's the, um, they're sort of between places and they've had a really bad run. And it's like um, there's heresy going on or there's there's worry. And they've they've lost so many people. And 
the commissars telling them they have to have a purge because it's getting out of hand and we have to crack down. And they end up falling to corn because there's this idea that the Red Emperor cares and the Red Emperor just wants you to be who you are and to, and to look out for each other. Whereas all the Emperor wants to do is to put you down and to kill people senselessly yep. to, to keep in control. And at the same time, you've got a concept, isn't it? You know, what's your going yeah, for? I mean, Seems... but, and again, it's, I mean, I think for me, the 40k universe works best if you basically accept that the Imperium was the bad guys mm. and that, you know, the, the most of the competing philosophies are all kind of horrible, but they're not actually more horrible than the baseline sort of imperial religion. You've got, you've got because the, it still wants to get you killed. Well, you got the whole thing that sort of um, there was. The, if you go back to the Horus Heresy side of things, um, arguably, especially, and this is why Alpharius um, and Alpha Legion um, are technically the most loyal um, Space Marine Legion because they were told that if they helped the Heresy, uh, help, helped Horus win then the Imperium would end over, you know, it, it would end with Horus and stuff. It, it would die out. Whereas if they won, if the Emperor won, then it would carry on uh, and and loads of people, like millions of people would die. And so they basically chose that it was better to basically let Horus win and, um, you know, let it pair out, right. you know, have an end than have this sort of kind of, meat grinder of uh you know a, an imperium that would sort of follow a, afterwards um and i like that sort of edge to it i think and that's the one good thing about sort of um black library or sort of 40k lore and stuff is the bad guys are never really the bad guys there's a lot of sort of nuance and there's a lot of sort of gray areas to stuff especially you know how they've turned and why they are what they're doing and i i like that i like the fact that there's a lot of edge to it all Compared to a lot of um, other IPs, it kind of has to be that way because you are, there are always, even if, you know, the, I suspect the vast majority of um, 40k players play, you know, some Space Marine or other chapter, but at the same time, there are a lot of other factions and each one of those factions kind of has to be its own hero. And therefore, that does make for a surprisingly sort of rich and diverse range of viewpoints across across their universe, purely by necessity. Whereas in a lot of IPs, you know, you've got the thing, these are the good guys. And that means you can make the bad guys as bad or incompetent or rubbish or cruel or whatever as you want, because they're never going to be the, 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 the force that the players are, uh, you know, the players are going to get behind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the old joke about the mother walking into a James Workshop store and saying, "Right, so who are the good guys?" <laughs> uh... <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I, I, I like, I've said, I've said this story a million. I've said it two or three times on these podcasts and stuff. But there's, the, like, there's, there's one sort of short story about the space wolves where they're helping a a planet um, fight off a um, dark Eldar invasion um it's a squad of space wolves they basically do it they help this sort of kind of planet which they were meant to be bringing into compliance uh they're trying to bring this uh, planet into compliance but this they they get there these the eldar are basically stealing people as slaves and and generally doing what dark eldar do um 
and the space wolves help them basically see them off. They they basically get rid of the dark Eldar. Um, at the very end, the uh, the sort of kind of guy who's in charge kind of turns around and says, "Oh, cheers, thanks for that." And the space wolves go right. So uh, you're in the Imperium, right? And they're like, "Well, well, no, we're we're." We don't want to be. We kind of want to be our own people. We want to be free and stuff like that. And he kind of goes, you're in the Imperium, right? And he went, no. And he just kills him. This face will just kills the guy. And it's just like, oh my God. And that's it. They literally just kill the guy. You know, we may have helped you do that, but we've got this sort of, this is what we're here for. And you didn't agree with it. And therefore you're dead. And they basically kill him. And it's just like, wow. Amazing. I love it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like chunks of Central Europe getting liberated from the from the Nazis by the communists. Yes, it's that kind of. Yeah. Hey, yeah. oh, yeah, very much. Yeah, it's like, oh, what, what, what is this free bullshit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> technically, the space ring was was the the nominal good guy in the in the grand scheme of things on the grounds that he asked twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like there. There is like obviously, I think you get sort of. I think they have morals, but it's a very sort of kind of warped moral. It, it's there's like duty and sort of service to the emperor is very much you know part of that, and there's literally no sort of. Um, Personal. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that's morality so much as just a command prompt, frankly. Yeah, but yeah maybe. Yeah. Well, it is easy to forget that they are extensively hypnotically conditioned on a regular basis to make sure that they don't do that, that they don't think outside of the box with space marines and with an awful lot of other see that's what you have with the thunder warriors you see so i think that's a, that's another sort of kind of area which i think they've dabbled in uh now mm. and again but the thunder warrior side of thing would be a really good sort of kind of uh a place to go i think because that's obviously the, i think they were probably they were killed by the custodies uh at the end because there was like well maybe you think a bit too much maybe you're you're not what we you're not what we <laughs> want and so they sort of there uh, are means to an end weren't yeah they? And then you, you got sort of got rid of them and that's what i love about the emperor because he's human and he's fallible and especially in the newer books and stuff he's, is he, he's he actually is he human he, he, or is like, he He's a perpetual, so argu- arguably he's immortal. Um, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's not arguably, he is, he is immortal. He's a perpetual, but he's got a, he's had a wife. Um, and he's like, she's, I can't remember her name, but she's in one of the books. And it's like, uh, and she's, you know, she, there's all kinds of stuff like, you know, which basically makes him, you had this sort of, when you first grew up into sort of kind of the Warhammer world, like the emperor is this literally a god who can do nothing wrong, but these books, basically make him fallible because he makes mistakes and he does things because he thinks it's for the best but it causes issues for other people and things like that and i like that i think you know the way and the way he he treats especially in master of mankind the way he sort of refers to the primarchs by numbers and by you know they are effectively tools and stuff and it's just like i i like that i like this sort of thing because it makes it gives him humanity it makes him a human being and he's fallible and he's not always right and he makes mistakes and i love that i think it's great so um what was the reaction when you submitted the book to uh black library what was their take on it? Because of... um, so I'd done the short story first, and originally the idea was that the short story would be a direct forerunner to the um, to the novella. But that, as it happened, that didn't work out mostly because I, there were some things I wanted to do with the novella that were just that I was told, you know, that doesn't work in the law. 
therefore yeah you, we need to you need to take things different in a different direction so there was a quite a lot of backwards and forwards um working out where the novella would actually be so we i know uh so originally it was going to be um originally i mean i was kicking about the idea with having you know can i have um a, a sort of a fallen in, uh, a fallen inquisitor who is trying to use the cult and that there were a, for a variety of reasons that didn't basically work for games workshop so we thought let's have the um, adeptus mechanicus instead and okay. make that the kind of the and i think that that did actually work a lot better as a kind of um, the two opposed forces because it they are i think the, the that side of the the imperium as a kind of a a, a user of human resources is much more on show with them mm. so that, that that i think was a much more useful um sort of narrative tool um but it was i had a lot of um i had a very very heavy edit on that first short story and the edits on the novella were then lighter because i was kind of already anticipating the sort of you know the thought of ways the ways things would things would go but uh and so rather than being law based it basically just came down to a few structural things basically sort of like well, you know, you've got this thing here we don't really get to see it in a fight can we can we have a fight where it is involved and that kind of thing so yeah there's a there's a one of the characters um one of the admet characters has a castellan robot yeah, and originally it didn't really do much in the in the book. So look, you know, we really want to get that in a fight, and let's have you know, and so it was that kind of structural level. So um, by the time I actually got to the, uh, I, I submitted the first draft. The the law side of things was working sort of happily enough, and it was more it was more just a matter of detail. How did, oh. how, how did you find? Obviously, because you've you've. 40 odd books where you've basically you, you you've gone balls deep on lore your own sort of your own direction how was it writing for somebody else's with their own sort of kind of background on lore how did you find that writing it's where you had restrictions very different and it's genuinely it's much more difficult because you know you know because you don't have that freedom and you know i mean to, there's always a certain amount of amount of um, left wall going on whether it is that you have to fit in with the other stuff you've already written or whether it is that you have to fit in with real world science or something like that but in this case obviously it's fitting in with this enormous you know decades and decades of, of existing law you know it's one of it's, it must be one of the really big long-running sort of you know ips out there um so yeah it, it's it was definitely a, a bit of a different mental space i had to get myself into and it was that first short story that really helped me fit in so that by the time I started on the novella, I was kind of pointing in the right direction for it. But it's, yep. I mean, one of the big advantages of 40K or for that matter, Age of Sigma or anything like that is there's a lot of space. You can go and find a part of it that people haven't sort of extensively trodden over that is still something that the um, the IP holder, the you know, the, the company Games Workshop, wants to see. The reason I suspect I would not be terribly happy working in a lot of IPs is I don't want to play with the the big names. I would, you know, I I might. I mean, I've got to say it, it, it's it's a difficult fan base uh, and that might put me off but, but no, no I, 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 this is not 40k i mean i i might um the 40k fan base are sweethearts compared to say the star wars fan base because <laughs> they are very very divided and very um vocal 
And but getting past that, I might well want. I would quite like to write something set in a Star Wars universe. Say, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with any of the main characters. Yeah, and I don't think that's what they're particularly interested in. I know that there certainly have been new characters to come out of um, the comics and come out of the books, but they are frequently they come out of a relationship with existing characters. So, for example, my to the best of my understanding, um, Kevin Scott's Doctor Afra, who is a very popular new star wars character comes out of a uh, you know basically turns up out of a relationship with vader yeah and so but i am not you know it's in the same way i'd love to write a superhero comic i don't want to write for any existing superheroes particularly um and that's the or the or at least there are the very small list of them that particularly grab me enough and i suspect they're already very committed doing other things um I want to do my own stuff in the universe because for me, it's always about the universe. That's the interesting thing of any set, any um, particular property or setting is the universe and its concepts, not those individual characters. And while 40K has its individual characters, like, you know, the heads of various sort of chest space marine chapters and so forth, they are proportionally a much smaller part of what is going on than say the main character in Star Wars or the doctor in Doctor Who or something like that. Have you ever uh, have you re- ever read or any of uh, Peter Klein's X Heroes series at all? It's it's basically is that the one with the zombies? And yeah, the so yeah, so basically it's zombies. Yes, I have read the first. I've read the first one. Yeah, I, I've I I, uh, I got put onto it by my boss, um, and I've gone through all of them, and they are superb. The idea, I was just, ah, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just done with zombies and stuff, but it works so well. Mm. And because like the superheroes are like they're different, so you've got one called Saint George, who's basically. They, he used to be called the Mighty Dragon and stuff, and he, but he's he's called Saint George now, and he can do like kind of Superman-y type stuff. But then you've got all these different types of characters. But they, there's there's no like main sort of kind of DC or uh, there's lots of little tropes that some of them do that you sort of recognize, but they're, they're their own characters, and it's so good, especially tying in with the sort of apocalyptic, um, mm. you know, world and sort of they're in Hollywood and they're trying to sort of kind of deal with it all, and it's really 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 good rates really really good yeah no I, I certainly enjoyed the first one yeah really good um one thing you also wanted to ask about is your recent introduction to uh the new blind uh Luther arkwright yes yes i have going from a uh, votan to wotan in fact yeah i, mean, I was waiting you... i was waiting for you to do that link that just seemed to be absolutely um absolutely uh perfectly <laughs> thank you thank you it's all about the links <laughs> Yes, I was inordinately flattered um, to be asked. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Brian Tolbert, but um, I, I, I'm lucky enough. I'm, I met him at um, a convention years back, and we got on really quite well and kind of stayed in touch and met up at various times since then. And, yeah, I, I mean, long before meeting him, I ran into Luther Arkwright, and it was genuinely very um, influential on my own kind of my own writing and Especially in the in the early books, there are some emotional beats that he pulls off, which I kind of feel I've been sort of running to catch up to ever since. So mm, I, w- I was, yeah, I was very, I was lucky, lucky enough to be asked to um, to write the introduction to the third Luther, Luther Arkwright volume, which is, I think, the official launch is fourteenth of July, i.e., next month. So I'm not quite sure when you're when you're going out, but. 
Um, it'll be, you know, it, it, it's not long. I've seen it because we had um, middle of this month, there was an exhibition at the Cartoon Museum, uh, a Luther Arkwright exhibition. They had some of the copies of the, the, combi- the sort of com- compilation that I'd written yeah. the introduction for. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, um, I've got the the first two, um, mm. Adventures and uh, Heart of Empire. And I mean, like in the first one, it's Michael Moorcock who's um, the vice introduction. So, you know, you know, you got, um, so, but yeah, it's a fantastic artwork. And it's just that was the book that really got me into graphic novels. I mean, that's, just, apparently they're the good argument for saying it's the first British graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I imagine as an all thing, there, I'm sure there, there's someone who has an, has an alternative contender, but that's uh, the, the date certainly seem to suggest that that is really one of the the things that, that just kickstarts the whole um, sort of British, gra- uh, British gra- graphic novel scene. Absolutely. I mean, like they were first released in, well, as single issues in the 70s. And I remember got my copy of the actual graphic novel early 90s so mm-hmm. entire and it was published by dark horse so it's entirely possible that you know they are the first you know english graphic novel and you know as first go it's fantastic it really is a piece of you know you know art in and of itself i mean just the sheer attention to detail and the you know that beauty of the artwork is fantastic and like and very political I, mean, I was just reading. I'm just rereading it um, today whilst I'm speaking to Brian Talbot tomorrow, and yeah, it's just it's still no, thirty years on, it's still absolutely relevant. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I mean, his work in general is very political, and certainly if, uh, a lot of the stuff he's do, done with his uh, his wife Mary Talbot that she's written and he's illustrated is uh, yeah she's written a number of sort of feminist biographical pieces which have been extremely well received. Uh, suffragettes. Uh, Suffragettes, uh, there's a Red Virgin, Red Virgin. And there's Daughter of Her Father's Eyes, which Daughter. is about um it's it's Green uh, Joyce. It's it's Joyce's daughter and also her own life because her father was the Joyce scholar and it's it, as a kind of um as a as a as a contrast. Yeah, I shot them to Mary once and said like oh, there's um um uh, like a picture, like a drawing of her by Brian, uh, with her wearing a cloak, and apparently that was the cloak she actually had when um, she was that age, which was a ni- nice little touch. And also, this released um, oh, Vane, um, which had, yes. was all about um, climate change yes. in Hebden Bridge. And like I've, I had friends that um, live in Hebden Bridge, said, "Yeah, yeah, that's you know pretty accurate." So, so I mean, what can you can you say anything about um, the new new Luther Arkwright graphic novel? I don't think it's for me to say, to be honest. Except okay. it's extremely good. Okay, <laughs> I've I've seen some pages of it. It seems to be like no black going back to black and white of the original rather than the full color Heart of Empire. Um, I'm trying to think now because um, I I got to I got to see it in quite an early stage. So right. that's my I mean, my mind it certainly is. I don't know for sure whether that's the final. Um, whether the final published one is black and white or all coloured, and well, and also, what do you have planned coming up? I mean, what's in, what's your next forty graphic forty novels? Well, uh, so uh, so Eyes of the Void, which is the second Architects book, has just come out. Ooh. Um, I've got end of this year. Sorry, I'm about to be attacked by a cat. 
Um, end of this year, I got Children of Memory out, which is the third Children of book. Um, and also, I've got my first fantasy book out for um, for years, which is uh, called City of Last Chances. Ooh, interesting. Which I've got to say, I'm inordinately happy with. Okay. So can, can you tell us a bit more about that then? Yeah, so this is, um, it's basically, it's set in an occupied fantasy city. It's quite, it, it is a book about small people in a fantasy city rather than big heroes. But at the same time, it's quite high magic. So that, for example, you know, it's industrial, you've got big factories, um, you have trade unions, in fact, which is quite topical at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, it, yeah, I mean, it's probably not the only fancy book with a trade union, but it's one of the few. Um, but the things powering the factories are demons. And so uh, I, an, an, an essential part of your trade union structure is you need a whole group of people who summon and bind demons. And that's just an industrial skill that you get people in to do. <laughs> um, so, yes, it's an occupied city. Um, there is a revolution brewing. All of the characters in the book are kind of trying not to have anything to do with the plot of the book or the revolution or any of these things that are going on um, because they are small time crooks and failed priests and students and things like that. And there is a whole also there's a whole Maltese Falcon thing going on. There is a very powerful magical artifact. Nobody knows who's got it. Someone has got it and the occupiers want it. And so do a lot of other people. And so it's a bit of Les Mis and it's a bit of Casablanca and it's a bit of uh, Maltese Falcon and it's a bit of um, just general high magic chicanery. And I wrote it with that, although I, I built the world, but then I didn't plan the plot. Okay. And so, which norm, so normally I, I plan things to within an inch of their life. In this case, so right, I am just going to let this run and I will skip from character to character and just build the the living world of this city as all of these en- events arise and as you're seeing them kind of out of the corners of everyone's eyes they're trying not to have anything to do with them <laughs> that sounds absolutely amazing yeah, man, sounds also it's, it's had a cover reveal recently and the cover is beautiful oh i want to check that out afterwards what's it called again sorry city of last chances city of last chances brilliant awesome um okay um i'm guessing from your your alarm clock you, you you may have to go soon so we'll we'll not keep you much longer um we generally end the podcast now with a bit of a with a bit of a quiz uh it, it's for okay. for for the, for the tiktok it's for the tiktok massive for all the, the things basically we stole i mean we we uh inspired by we, we inspired by a, a guy uh a group called straight shit who do stuff on my guess the wrestler we do it basically guess the character so you pick a franchise from geeky you know it can be marvel dc star wars um warhammer whatever you pick a franchise and then you've got 60 seconds uh for the other people to guess who the character is um so um we would ask you to sort of think of an ip of of that you favor think of a character uh and then we would uh try and guess that uh we would try and guess that character um for an example i will uh i will do one um for you uh so you know how it goes uh let me get my timer right so uh i'm not sure if pete's gonna know any of this well i don't know actually we'll we'll see you said you're in the age of sigmar so i'll um 
I'll, I'll oh God. That's me out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could actually name any actual characters. Ah, all right, okay. Well, we'll leave it there. Apart from Sigmar. Ah, yes. Is it Sigmar? It is, is that not Sigmar. It was going to be. It was going to be. Out. It was going to be Belacor. Uh, though he sort of kind of he st- he sort of straddles straddles forty k. He straddles forty uh, k and uh, and an ancient Sigmar. He's um, the the dark the the, the dark master. Um, I think he's like one of the big sort of chaos, chaos um, demons, demon prince. Yeah, demon princes. Yeah. All right, we'll say something else. Um, I've got one. All right, go on then, Pete. Go on. Okay. In Star Wars. Okay, you're always Star. Your Star Wars is always your go-to one, man. Star Wars. Okay. Yes, there's a reason for that. <laughs> okay, Star Wars. Sixty seconds. Go. Original trilogy. Yes. Um, in the new ones. No, legends. Uh, uh, prequels. Huh? In the legends. Not, not in the legends, and not in the prequels. Right. Just the movies. Just, just the movies. Just the movies. Okay. Uh, Imperial. Yes. Um. Are okay. So they're Imperial in the. Uh, the original films. Yep. Um, are Did they, they get choked by Darth Vader? No. <laughs> oh, that narrows it down quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, are they? Are they an Imperial officer? Yes. Are they General Grand Moff Tarkin? Pardon? General Veers? Nope. Grand Moff Tarkin? Nope. Oh. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to think of Imperial. Uh, oh, uh, Admiral Piet. <laughs> Yes. Oh, get in. Does he not get choked at least? No, no. He, he survives. He, he replaces uh, General Veers. Yeah. So he, no, he replaces uh, the previous animal that gets choked. Yeah, I know. Uh, what's and the guy survi- called? And one of the few that survives. What's, this, oh, what's the guy called? What's the guy? How does he survive? He's on the Super Star Destroyer when it gets blown well, up. Well, he, he survives Empire Strikes Back. And does he survive? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he survives, survives the Yeah, very good. I mean, given the, how, the, how they run the extended universe, it wouldn't remotely uh, surprise me. Nita, that, that, Admiral Nida, he replaces Admiral Nida. Yes. Admiral Nida basically fucks up and then he's just like, uh, apology accepted, Admiral Nida. <laughs> and, then, and then he sort of gives it to uh, Admiral Pierre, who I've met. I've met the guy. I am going to be supremely geeky and say that he replaces Admiral Ozzel. Um, Captain Nida yes. is the one that lets the Falcon get away and does does do the apology accepted, but that's ah, yes, exactly. ah, yes, because Captain I am Moon. that much of a Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. Uh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Captain Nida. Exactly. It is Captain Nida. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You can imagine the little sign on the side of the Death Star Bridge, on the side of the Star Destroyer Bridge, it has been how many days <laughs> since we last since Vader last killed someone? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, it wasn't. So, what was he even? Was it Admiral Piet? That is, is, is it Admiral Piet, or is it... he does because he becomes he, the Admiral. He, he, after he becomes Oswald. Admiral. Yeah, he starts yeah, as yeah. captain, and, and he replaces he replaces Nida. No, he replaces Oswald, Oswald. who is um, the guy from Grange Hill. Ah, yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's Bronson. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Mark, have you got one for us? Oh. Uh, okay, I'm gonna be um I'm gonna go back to the eighties a bit. I'm gonna go Transformers. Ooh, interesting. Our first Transformers one. Okay. Transformers, sixty seconds. Go. Uh Decepticon. No. Uh first so... generation. Yes. Um okay. so obviously uh, Autobot. Yes. Okay, so it's not going to be any of the sort of kind of sub-factions that are sort of around there, so Autobot. That's why it's first generation. Yeah. Uh, do, do, the, do the Transformers do something with wheels? Yes. 
Okay. Uh, is it Hot Rod? No. Uh, first generation. Oh, yeah, because he's from the film. So... Is it Jazz? No. Okay. Um, is it the first Transformer <laughs> I ever owned? Do they turn into a vehicle that might be owned by a private individual as opposed to an organization? Yes. So no, no ambulances or fire engines. Or uh, so it's not going to. It's not going to be Ironhide. It's not going to be. Um, well, Ironhide it could be because he's a minivan. It's is Ratchet it Ironhide? Is it Ironhide? No, it's not. No, it could be Ratchet because he's a private individual. Is it Ratchet? Like minivan? No. Ratchet's an, Ratchet's an ambulance. Ratchet's an ambulance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The death of Ironhide just. Pff, I've, oh, I've exhausted okay. my knowledge of Transformers. Oh, okay, so stop there. We got one more guess. Uh, uh, sorry, one more question and another guess. Okay, Optimus so, Prime. <laughs> can't be Optimus. okay right so l- let's think about this right grew up with transformers i should know this okay so we've got uh autobot he it's got a oh, four wheel um four wheels um could be owned by a private individual if they were that vehicle <laughs> um oh it's a bumblebee no ah oh, fuck close oh. Oh, oh, this is going to really annoy me now. Go on. You, Have you, no, you haven't had a guess yet, Pete. You haven't had a guess yet. Um, I have no idea, oh, honestly. No, no, don't say it, Mark. I know where it's <laughs> going to be. Just bear with me one minute. Oh, go on, say it. Gears. <sighs> no, no. The first Transformer I ever owned. One of the little mini bots, yeah, um, turned into a, a blue jeep with um, yeah, how did that? Like red gear on the back, yeah. I could, I, I could show him to him, but he's in a cupboard, he's in one of the cupboards at the moment because I managed to build up almost okay, all I don't of feel the original too bad because he is quite he is slightly obscure, so okay, I don't feel too sort of bad about that. It's okay, <laughs> all right, all right. I don't feel Hence like why I'm... said you were close with Bumblebee because they're all mini bots, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, oh. I get if I was going to be Bumblebee obscure, was the one that got the agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be a skier. I'd have gone with Swerve, which was the repaint they did of him. Oh, that makes me think. I'm thinking of. Oh, I'm going to, I think I've got one now. Okay, actually, uh, Adrian, what you, what have you got for us? Um, I am not a huge, necessarily even a huge fan of the franchise, but I'm going to go with Star Trek. Ooh, interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. our first Star Trek one as well. Star Trek sixty seconds go. Um, original series. No. Next generation. No. Uh, Deep Space Nine? No. Oh, God. Um, Voyager. Voyager? Sorry, second? Voyager. No. Oh, God. Okay. Um, Enterprise? No. Discovery? No. Yes. Okay. Discovery. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, oh, God. Is it Saru? And the Federation? Saru. Is it Saru? No. Federation? Uh, yes. Is it Michael Benham? Burnham. Burnham. No. No. Okay. Are they human? Yes. Are they an officer? Yes. Are they a bridge officer? Um. I am not entirely sure, but let's say no. Okay. Do they work in engineering? Yes. Okay. Um. Okay. Right. One more question, and then final guess. I. Th- there's two people I'm thinking of. Male or is it is it male or female? Uh, male. Okay. What's his name? I know I'm having the same problem. What's his Tim, name? The Tim guy. Tim Leary. What? 
the the engineer that's basically Timothy Leary in Star Trek. Oh, what's his oh, name? Yeah. He's the one who goes into the bloody. He's the he's the guy yeah. who sits in the. Yeah, and I can't remember his name. I was just oh! watching. So I started watching series four on Paramount Plus like this, like yesterday, and I should be able to remember this, and I cannot remember his name. Ah, oh, it's there. It's right there, man. <laughs> it's right there. Ah. Oh. Oh, gee. Oh, you're gonna have to tell us. It's it's Stamets, yes. The Star Trek yeah. equivalent of Tim Leary. Uh, I'll take your word for that. I very nearly went for the Tardigrade, but I thought that probably wouldn't. Yeah, be. the Tardigrade. <laughs> <laughs> the Tardigrade. <laughs> right, my one, I guess. Um, okay. All right, um, I'm going to go for. Um, Oh, because you, you see, I have, you, you've changed my mind because you got you did Transformers, and I was like, could I go retro as well? Should I go you retro? Could do mask or yeah, Joe? Yeah, or or, or or I could go Thundercats. Thunder. Oh, I could go Thundercats. I didn't think about Thundercats. I could go Thundercats. <laughs> There's not a lot of Thundercats though. There's not There's about know, nine characters. In yeah, you could you could easily just go. Is it is it Chitara? Is it Lionel? You could literally name that in sixty seconds just by naming yeah. every character. Well, you can start it. off where is it male or female. And that, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you say female. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that knocks it down. It's, it's two yeah, considerably. Smurfs, too. <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Okay. Um. All right. I'm not going to do that then. I'm going to go for Game of Thrones. I think. Okay. Um, so I'll go Game of Thrones. Um, let me just make sure I have got. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So Game of Thrones, sixty seconds. Go. Are they one of the houses? Yes. Are they with House Baratheon? Star. No. Are they Lannister? They're not a Lannister. Greyjoy? Stop. They are a Greyjoy. Theon? No. Is it the mad priest one whose name I can't remember? Uh, <laughs> oh, um... Oh, his name's gone now as well. My God, what's happening to me today? <laughs> I'm not that one. Then. No, it's not him. Right. Is um, it Theon's sister? It... I, I think is it is technically Theon. But I can't, you know, it is. It's, te- 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 it's technically oh. Theon, but it's not. Oh, um, one thing Theon becomes, um, not Grey Worm. Oh, because so, Grey Worm was one of the, um, yeah, basically, it was ugh, your your clue is because time is, is up. Okay, Reek, yes, it Reek. is. There yes. you go, bang on time as well. There you go, Reek. For the win, <laughs> I think it was the only actual guess we got right. I don't think we've done anything. We've got anything right today. Oh, what a what a bad bad set. Um, but there you go. I'm sure people get lots of laughs out of the desperation there. Oh, no, that, that, seriously, just yeah. Especially that Star Trek one. It was just there. It was like there eating up my brain. Yeah. But anyway, that's been uh, it's been great, Adrian. Really appreciate your time again. Um, what was the name of the new book again? Sorry, the fantasy one. Um, uh, fantasy one is is City of Last Chances. And like I say, the if if you want to look it up, the the cover ha- should still be on um, 
my website, yeah. at least adriantchaikovsky.com. It's on, it's on Amazon. Places. It's yep. on Amazon. I had a great nosy. But it's got one of the just the special writerly joys. All of the detail on that cover relates to stuff that is in the book. Oh, it is very, very specifically informed by details of the you know, even down to like the, the the vulture in this corner. That is a thing that relates to something in the book. Oh, brilliant! brilliant. Which which yeah, he's <laughs> always phenomenally um sort of flattering as 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 a, an author when you've got that level of uh, fidelity going on. <laughs> Okay. Oh, dear. Well, well, thank you very much, Adrian. It's been a pleasure, as always. Um, please do come back again uh, when you've got some more, uh, especially more 40K stuff. If you are if you get yourself into doing some Vo- League of Votan stuff, that would be very good. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, it would be one way of trying to sneak an early look at the... Uh, the law, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-release codex, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. Uh, with me has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. Uh, Mark Canty. Good night, everybody. And Adrian Tchaikovsky. Good night.